Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 373 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm co host along with the very clever Alison Tate, also known as AL Tate. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre. Alison is one of our teachers. She's an incredibly prolific author, in case you're new to this podcast and don't know who we are. Um, but if you're a regular <laughs> listener, welcome back. How are you, Al? Apparently, I'm very clever and prol- prolific, so I'm just yes. going to take those things, put them on a T-shirt, <laughs> and that will be me done for the year. Yeah, I think so. Can you mm. believe that we are in our last episode of the year? No. I can't no. believe it. I'm a little bit surprised that we made it this far. It's been quite the year. Um, I'm quite happy in some ways to be here in the last episode of the year because, of course, you know, this is a season to be jolly but also <laughs> to be incredibly ridiculously busy. So, um, yes. you know, it's uh, not a bad thing that we're winding up for bit of a break uh, is a good mm. thing, right? So I'm quite looking forward yes. to that. I will miss everybody, of course, because I'm actually yes. having quite a break. I'm, I'm not going to be around uh, for a few episodes while I mm-hmm. wrangle my children and do, you know, oh, a structural edit. God, that small oh, technical yeah. detail of a structural edit. Yep. Um, as well as, uh, what else am I doing? Are you I'm going actually, away? Uh, I am going just for a few days here and a few days there. I will be mm-hmm. going away. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, mostly I'm trying to get some work, you know, done around various, well, just varying of children because that's what I do these days. I just mm. drive them places and drop them places. So when are they mm. going to be able to drive themselves? I mean, can they well, hurry up? Well, that's the thing. It does take quite a long time. But you know, the thing is with the whole L's thing because Book Boy, of course, is on his L's. He's mm. um, we're we're rapidly approaching the magic age of the P. Um, mm. But he, uh, you have to do 120 hours of driving practice, Valerie, 120 yeah. hours, 20 hours of which has to be at night. Um, mm. And as night doesn't fall until approximately 8.30, 9 o'clock these days, that, that mm. you know, doesn't make it easy. Um, so, yeah, we, we, you know, we do a lot of, you know, can I drive, can I drive, can I drive? We're doing mm. a lot of that. But it is a significant amount of time that is required. To Remember do the days when we just got our L's, like, <laughs> and then well, just got know, our <laughs> I've got to tell you that having sat through, I think, I think we've done around seventy hours now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he's a he's a relatively competent driver. Um, after seventy hours, um, there's still some work to be done on 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 a few bits and pieces and some reverse parking, which I'm going to leave up to someone else because I'm so bad at it. Mm-hmm. Cheerfully awful, I am cheerfully okay. crap at reverse parking, and I'm all right with that. Um, but I would like him to be more competent at it than I am. Um, yeah, so we've done 70 hours, and I have to tell you that the first 20 to 30 hours were really hair-raising from a parental yeah, perspective. Right. And all I can think about is the fact that I think I did 10 lessons and got my licence. So yes. I did 10 hours worth yep. Of, yep. of actual on-road driving before mm. I got my licence and then off I went by myself. And when I look back on that, I just don't know what we were thinking. I know. I don't, I don't know horrifying. what the system was thinking. I don't know because it's just hor- – it is horrifying. It to is. Think it's That's horrifying. how we went about it. Yep. Yeah, really because crazy. I had – my driving teacher was Billy, may he rest mm. in peace, mm. and he um, – he just straight out said, I don't teach you how to drive, I teach you how to pass the test. You'll yes. learn how to drive after. And so yes. we, 
that that was that was exactly what I learned just how to pass the test. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it, yep. it's it is horrifying. Make sure you ostentatiously check your mirrors before you do everything. Mm, and so you're yes. ostentatiously checking your mirrors, but are you actually looking in them to make sure nothing's <laughs> coming? Probably not. <laughs> Are you, when you look over your shoulder, you're ostentatiously looking over your shoulder to show that you know that you have to do that. But are you actually seeing anything? No, because you're so nervous that you're not actually – like it's crazy. And it's just yeah. the roundabouts. Like we do so many roundabouts. Our town is a town of roundabouts. And so we do like roundabout after roundabout after roundabout because the number of decisions that you have to make approaching a roundabout mm. is just phenomenal. And you watch this, you know, in that first sort of, you know, 10 to 20 hours and it just does your head in that anybody could possibly get a license after you know yes. even less driving time than that crazy well, anyway all right here so we are is, believe it or not this isn't so you want to be a p-plate driver this <laughs> is so you want to be a rider and we want to give a big shout out to gobble defunct two 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 great okay. name yeah <laughs> who kindless kindly left us a review and said fabulous podcast I've been binging on this the past few months and it's one of my favourite podcasts. I run my own book review blog, The Book Muse, and have been trying to apply some of the advice to that and my other writing. It's one of the best podcasts. I'm Team Chocolate (laughs) and I love Word of the Week. (laughs) That's well, you know. Wow. She's hedging her bets there. (laughs) I hope I can finish this before the end of the year from Gobbledyfunk2222. Thank you, Gobbledyfunk. That's Ashley. I know who that is because Ashley actually (laughs) tweeted us last week to say that she has, in fact, done them all. She has gone through every single episode. She has had you and I in her ears bloody 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 blah for about eight billion hours and she has actually managed to do it so well done and thank you so much for the lovely review yes thank you so much ashley really appreciate it all right so on our very last episode of the year i'm going to move on to are you ready for this al probably not (laughs) I suspect if you're going to say it in that tone of voice i'm thinking i'm probably not going to be ready for it but okay let's have a crack shall we well Every week we talk about word of the week, but now we're going to be talking about da, 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 word of the year. <laughs> oh, no. Really? Do I have to choose one from all of those words no, of the week that you've given me? You don't have to choose one because we're oh, going so to be talking about, about the Macquarie Dictionary word of the year and also the Oxford Dictionary word of the year. But anyway. Oh, let's okay. So two with, words of the year. Yes. So we're going to start with the um, Macquarie Dictionary word of the year. First of all, let's start with the People's Choice Macquarie Dictionary Word of the Year. Can you guess what it is? No. <laughs> of all the words of all the years, no, I can't guess what it is. You'll have to share it with me. There's actually two. One is Karen, <laughs> poor, <laughs> all the poor Karens out there, and the other is Covidiot. Oh, COVIDiot. I don't mind COVIDiot, actually. The Karen thing I think is quite interesting. I've got a friend who is a teacher's aide in a high school, a local high school, Mm. and she was telling us a story the other day. She was like, I laughed and laughed so much because this kid um, was very unhappy with her about something. And she said he stood there and he was like, well, you're just a... And she said, I could see him reaching for the worst possible thing, worst possible thing that I could possibly be because he was so angry. Mm-hmm. And he came up with Karen. Oh You're such goodness. a Karen. 
And she just <laughs> laughed and laughed and laughed and just said, okay, whatever. Like, really, is that the best you can do? <laughs> So there you go. And I, I really feel sad for the Karens because I know, I, I know several Karens and they're really Me nice, too. really nice women. But anyway, yeah, okay. So obviously the Macquarie Dictionary, um, these ones chosen by uh, the people, um, it was very much related to the events and sentiment of the year. So the committee in the Macquarie Dictionary, their word of the year is doom scrolling. Oh, yes. Now that one I can also get on board with. I did so mm. much of that. I, yes. I've done so much of that. Just like particularly I think my biggest thing with the doom scrolling was not even – it wasn't even COVID. It was the US elections. Yes. I was just so many obsessed people. in the lead up and, and during the day and I was just like and, – and, you know, to the point where the builder just said to me, you, you, you just need to put it down. You've got to walk away. Like you, mm. you're going into this deep pit of despair. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that's what happened. That's yeah, definitely. Mm. And there's a bunch of other ones like Sky Puppy, you know. Do you know what they are? Sky no. Puppy. I, I think they're bats. Bats. Really? Mm. How did I miss that? And uh, stalker oh, wear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, so it's like bats, like flying fox kind of things. Yeah, um, okay. st- Stalker wear, which is a type of spyware which a person installs on another's smartphone or other digital advice, device, you know, where you can basically um, monitor their communications and so on. Stalker wear, apparently that's mm. a thing. Right. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, cottage it's... core. I've seen cottage core everywhere. Have you? Yeah, I'm seeing cottage core everywhere. I need to get out more. <laughs> Am I living cottage cottage core? Well, yeah, possibly. Not. It's Tell a me what lifestyle. A lifestyle characterized as being rustic or old-fashioned, involving such pastimes as handcrafting, baking, gardening, etc. You do gardening. I'm, I'm fully cottage core, but without the, without the. Um, Handcraft, handicrafts. Yes, yes, you do the other stuff. And you live I am like else. in a nice old like thing that's good cottage core. I even, if you go back over some of our, you know, early sort of COVID episodes, I was even doing the sourdough, if you remember. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, yes. I went through oh, that moment goodness. of sourdough <sighs> before I realised that it was like having a Tamagotchi and I just I was no good. I couldn't <laughs> keep feeding it. I kind of oh, died. Yeah, I me know. Too. I, I killed it. Tell me, she's died. Um, mm. Another honourable anyway. mention is pyrocumulonimbus. Okay. Pyrocumulonimbus. So, mm-hmm. a cumulus nimbus which forms above a source of intense heat, such as a bushfire or volcanic eruption, and so on. So, obviously, that mm-hmm. was also associated with the sentiments mm-hmm. of the year. And hopefully, we don't have any pyrocumulonimbuses um, coming up this summer. That's right. So, yes. I mean, yeah. You, I mean, it's it has been quite the year, hasn't it, when you think about the fact that that's where we began and that was a year ago mm. and that feels like it was about a century ago. I know. I know. Exactly. Oh, anyway. So right. you can have what a look at the, the Macquarie. What have they got? Yes, but if in case anyone wants to look at the other ones in the Macquarie, there's other things like bee vectoring, inclusion rider, lo-fi, panda bashing, and um, and a whole bunch of others which you can have a look. Uh, and we'll put the link in the show notes. But moving on, as you said, to the mm-hmm. Oxford Dictionary, they've got uh, a bunch of words of the year. Um, mm-hmm. So there are, oh, goodness me, there's so many to choose from. Well, obviously, coronavirus <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, not and lockdown. 
mm. obviously, as well. And lots of other coronavirus-related language, like face masks, shelter in place, which is was not commonly used in Australia, but very commonly used in America. Bubbles, like the travel mm. bubble we hope to have mm. in um, oh, with yeah, New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Um, having a staycation. Yeah. yeah staycation mm-hmm. and um yeah a whole whole other lot that are very associated with um the events of the year like conspiracy theory mm. brexit black lives matter and so on so mm. a bit different okay. yeah bit different. fair enough hmm. all right let us have a look what do we've got next we have da, da, da. i don't know you're the one with the spreadsheet here i know i've got the spreadsheet oh yes we want to make sure don't miss the first round of Furious Fiction for 2021, kinking off on the 1st of January. There's no better way to start off the new year than with some creative writing and our free flash <laughs> fiction competition. We'll give you the nudge you need. Now, from the first Friday of every month, Furious Fiction invites writers from around the world to create a short story in just 55 hours following our creative prompts. There's $500 in store for the winner every month and endless fun to be had. It's been great to see how many people this year have consistently entered every month and we've and have ended 2020 with a stack of stories under their belt. So this is a really good time. If you want to start doing this in January and make sure that you don't break the chain, you'll have a bunch of stories by the end of the year. Um, we also love to see the thriving community on Twitter who um, participate in Furious Fiction with hashtag Furious Fiction. If you'd love to take part in this regular creative challenge, make sure you sign up at the fan club. It's free at furiousfiction.com.au and you'll receive an email with the details as soon as each round goes live. And remember, every round someone wins wins $500. So great. I um, have been fascinated though watching that too of the, so, you know, we obviously we have our team super fan um, Mm. who, you know, consistently show up every single month and have done for, you know, for ages. Um, But the number of entries in Furious Fiction is just, you know, phenomenal and continues to grow. And um, I just think it's brilliant that so many people are participating. Yeah, absolutely. Really fun thing to do over a weekend. And it's only 500 words that you have to Mm. write. So Mm. it's really, really doable. Now, we have another competition. We have 10 double passes to The Dry, thanks to Roadshow Films, the film adaptation of Jane Harper's award-winning crime novel. And, of course, we've had Jane on the podcast. Mm. The film will be released nationally in Australia on New Year's Day. Uh, but this is uh, uh, the film, I mean, sorry, of course it's the film, The Dry, stars Eric Banner, Genevieve O'Reilly, John Paulson, and a fantastic young cast. It follows federal agent Aaron Falk, who is Federal Eric Banner. agent? That's not yeah. a very Australian phrase. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Mm. As he returns to his drought-stricken hometown to attend the funeral of childhood friend Luke, who allegedly murdered his wife and child before taking his own life. When Aaron re- reluctantly agrees to stay and investigate the crime, he opens an old wound, the death of 17-year-old Ellie Deacon. Aaron begins to suspect these two crimes, separated by decades, are connected. As he struggles to prove not only Luke's innocence but also his own, Aaron finds himself pitted against the prejudice towards him and pent-up rage of a terrified community. The Dry is a wonderful piece of Australian cinema filmed in the beautiful Wimmera region of country Victoria. So, 
I'm quite keen for that. I, I just, oh, that yeah, absolutely. such a great novel that I think, mm. it, and it felt to me, even as I was reading it, particularly the ending, felt to me like a very much a, um, you know, perfect for, for cinema kind of a vibe. Yes. So um, I think it will it will play very, very well. And what a great cast. What a great cast, yes. Entries mm. close on the 28th of December um, for you to win one of 10 double passes to The Dry. So just go to writercentre.com.au slash win um, and follow the instructions. Entries close 28th December. All mm. right. Now, Al. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for the word of the week? Uh, yes. Well, I feel like we've already done it, but let's do it again. Oh, more words. Let's do more words. How many yes. words can we possibly fit into one Ooh. tiny podcast episode? Let's do more words. Confabulate. Mm. Do you know that one? I Look, it's a word that I'm familiar with, but I suspect I don't really know what it means. Do you know what I mean? I think it's one of those. Yes. I don't know that I've ever used it in a sentence um, and I suspect that maybe it's one of – I do not think that means what you think it means. I think it might be one of those. It Well, it probably means what you think it means, I suspect, but it also means something else. So it mm-hmm. actually has another meaning, all right? So this is an interesting one because it has two different meanings. It sounds like it's related to fabulous, confabulate, mm. confabulate, but mm. actually its first meaning, according to the Macro Dictionary, is to talk together or converse. So each week, Al, you and I confabulate on the podcast, right? We certainly confabulate. I can't even – I mean, there's, we're, we are so confabulous that I can't even <laughs> – I can't even cope. In fact, now, let's suspect, do a hashtag confabulous from now on. Oh, that's a good I think one. that's what we should do. <laughs> so I suspect that that is the meaning that you thought. No. Oh, no. Oh, okay. I actually suspect <laughs> – tell me the second meaning. Okay. Confabulation is also a psychological term where a person suffering from loss of memory fabricates an account of the forgotten period. That's what I thought it was because I have always put it in my mind with fabrication, like it's making stuff up. That's what I I thought it was. So there you go. I'm cleverer than I thought I was. Yes. Yes. All right. Cool. Well, there you go. Smart, Mm. smart, smart. Mm. Got it. All right. Well, that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Let's hear from Sarah Bailey. My name's Sarah Bailey. Um, I've got a debut novel through Alan and Unwin out at the moment. It's called The Dark Lake. It's a crime thriller. I was working in advertising at the time and I was working at a great company and had a really sort of good career, but I just had this burning desire to write all the time. I'd heard really good things about the Australian Writer Centre's course. Um, The reviews were always really positive and people always sort of providing really good feedback on social media. So um, I just thought that was a really good place for me to start. I found Nicole Hayes, the tutor that I had in the course that I did through the Australian Writer Centre, really inspiring. Um, really down-to-earth um, teaching style, but just a really great way of um, pulling together some of the writing skills that she's picked up over the years. She had such a passion for narrative and structure um, and being a published author, she had some, some really practical um, advice and knowledge to share as well. 
The process for me was just setting my own deadlines, which was something that was covered off in the Australian Writer Centre's course as well. Went, this is how many words I'd like to have by these different points along the year. And then I um, just worked towards getting the words down. And then I sort of um, approached agents and then the agents helped me approach publishers. In the end, when Alan and Unwin decided to publish the novel and um, that was all confirmed, it was, it was amazing. It was just such an amazing um, experience to go through and I felt really fortunate. Um, but also really proud because it had obviously been you know, a really hard, um, hard sort of journey to get there. Through the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I discovered that writing was something that was really, really important to me. And then of course, you know, through meeting the people and the tutor that I had, I also picked up a lot of really invaluable skills as well. I think it really just set me off on the right path. Um, and then since then, obviously, so much has happened in my world in terms of writing that I really do see it as the first step um, that, I, that I took along that path. It's amazing. I've, I feel very, very fortunate to be in the position where that's, that's my current life. So I think that was, a, that was hugely important um, in terms of getting, getting started. Definitely anyone who's interested in writing and sort of taking a, a, a more serious step toward that as a career or even just a, a more specific hobby. I think the Australian Writer Centre's courses are really worthwhile. I think it's just, it's always nice to be um, in an environment where people are passionate about what you're passionate about. Um, and I think that the, um, the skills and the information that you get from, from courses like that just, just help you sort of really focus. For me, the creative writing course was, was a great starting point. I think it just made me um, rediscover my love for writing at a basic level all over again. Um, so I think that I've definitely spoken to other friends and have suggested that they give it a shot. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creativewriting. All right, shall we move on to our writer in residence this week? It's probably a good idea at this point, hashtag confabulous. <laughs> We're chatting with Benjamin Stevenson this week and he was just such a delight to interview. He is an award-winning stand-up comedian and author this is we're talking uh to him about his second novel so his first novel was green light and it was shortlisted for a ned kelly it was published in the u.s and the uk as well um he's australian and his um current novel is either side of midnight so let's have a chat to benjamin stevenson thanks so much for joining us today benjamin thanks for having me this book, okay, Either Side of Midnight, it's, you just cannot put it down. It is so fabulous on so many levels, but we'll get into those levels soon. But for those readers who, um, or those listeners who haven't read the book yet, tell, can you tell us what it's about? Sure. So it's a thriller novel. Um, it opens behind the scenes of a nightly live entertainment television program. It's one of those ones where, you know, it's a bit of a piss take of the news or a bit satirical, a bit funny. Um, it's broadcast live, and the TV host, he's a comedian, he, the crew thinks he's looking a bit nervous on this particular broadcast, and they think it's because he's got a ring in his pocket and he's going to propose to his girlfriend live on air because he likes doing things for the theatrical pulling stunts. Uh, and near the end of the broadcast, he turns to the camera, addresses his girlfriend, says, I love you, but instead of pulling out a ring from his pocket, he pulls out a gun and shoots himself in the head. So that's broadcast live across Australia, and it's pretty clear-cut suicide. There's a million witnesses who see it happen, but his identical twin brother doesn't believe that it is suicide, and he thinks it might be a murder. So he hires my main character, Jack, to come and take a closer look at it. And from there, uh, I try and piece together how 
such a, a public suicide could be, in fact, a murder. How in the world did you come up with this idea? Well, it's a bit... Uh, there's a couple of influences that, that I took when writing this. The, po- the prologue is based on something that happened in the 70s in America. There was a newsreader um, and she broadcast for Fox News and she basically did the same thing. Um, she said, in keeping with Fox News's policy and bringing you the best blood and guts, I now present to you an attempted suicide. Um to the camera and that was in the 70s and it kind of stuck with me mm. there was a certain anniversary of you know 35 years after it happened or, or such and such a couple of years ago and it just stuck in my head and that scene was so powerful and I've been behind the scenes in a lot of entertainment programs so I kind of know the landscape of a television studio and, and what it would be like sweating under the spotlights all those kind of uh, environmental factors so I just knew this scene had to open my book the, the problem was it's not a crime as is so Mm. then I had to kind of develop uh, those aspects and turn it into a mystery that could be solved by my characters. So just for a bit of context your first novel was Greenlight and got shortlisted for the Ned Kelly it's been published in the US and the UK you also are a comedian yourself and you've performed at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, Edinburgh Fringe, and you've, as you said, you've been behind the scenes in entertainment, but you also work um, at Curtis Brown, at the literary agency Curtis Brown. So you've got a lot of strings to your bow. When did you think that you wanted to write fiction? Yeah, I'm a slashy, so I do... Uh, I, uh, that's a term that somebody called me the other day, which I hadn't heard before, which means this slash this does this. Um, mm. You know, it's weird because they're, they're three entirely different things that are all actually incredibly similar. Um, so my work at Curtis Brown, you know, I wanted to work there because I loved fiction. I loved thriller novels specifically, and I wanted to um, work on Australian fiction, which I got to do uh, and still do. And then that kind of developed into, well, now I think I've, I've learned a lot of the rules of fiction, as particularly crime thrillers, and I feel like I can deliver a really, uh, a really solid crime novel because I'm, my day job is to tell people if their novels are good or not. So that was just kind of a natural step, which is, which is ballsy because, you know, it's, it's kind of putting your talent at your day job on the line. Because yeah. if your novel is not good, then people won't trust your opinion when you give them feedback on their novels, I suppose. Um, and then comedy as well. I mean, it's it. Uh, comedy is truth, but it is also fiction. You know, you are telling a story. You're thinking about what themes you want to develop. Um, normally, you only have 45 to 60 minutes instead of 80,000 words. But it it's, adheres to a lot of the same structures, I find. Why did you want to write a crime novel? I just grew up with them. Um they're my favourite types of books to read. I think that great crime novels are actually great character novels with a couple of dead bodies scattered through them rather mm. than something that relies heavily on the violence or, or the, the body count or the action count. Those aren't the types of books that I like to read. But I think that a really great crime novel can deliver the same gut punch, the same thematic depth as a really great literary novel, and I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. So I thought it was a, a good vehicle um, to have fun with. As a, uh, Pacey, I like Pacey books, so to have fun mm. with that, but also to think about and talk about some topics that I wanted to talk about. 
So because you are a slashy and you do a bunch of different things, how do you get the words out? So maybe take us back to green light, or you can talk about this one, um, on a on your day-to-day um, schedule, where do you fit in all of the writing along with the day job, along with everything else? It's difficult. I've, I've approached both novels the same. So my schedule is to, at the end of the day, at the day job, is to make a new cup of coffee, put my headphones in and write for two hours. So 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. is my writing time. Um, the problem is if I have a gig at 7.30 or or even, you know, later in the evening that that kind of cramps it. Um, and then my other strategy is that I work best under pressure, which is, mm-hmm. God, I hope my publisher's not listening to this, but I divide <laughs> the amount of days left until my deadline by the amount of um, words that I need. And then mm-hmm. I have the words per day. So at the start of a contract, it's, cool, 250 words a day, and I'll finish the book on time. And then I leave it until it becomes absolutely impossible to achieve, and then I freak out, and then I start. So at the, at the, moment, at the moment, it's a cool, I think it's between, yeah, it's between kind of 500 and 800 a day at the moment, um, and I'm not freaking out yet. I am writing, um, but if I miss a day, it just adds to the tally. And there'll be a point about six weeks out where I go, oh, no, I need a lot of words per day. And then um, then I'll kind of put the uh, axe to the grindstone. But lots of writing is thinking. And I write mm. very slowly because I turn a lot over in my head. So even when they're not coming down on the page, it's because I'm untangling plot threads or, or figuring out character arcs. And then when I do sit down and write, I'm actually quite a quick uh, typist, I suppose. Ah, okay. So you're working it out in your head. So with Other Side of Midnight then, what um, oh, did uh, how, what plot elements did you know at the start? Had you already planned out what was going to happen or did you let that unfold as you started writing? I'm quite an intricate plotter. Um, you I are. Think, yeah, I, I think it would be quite difficult uh, for me to execute some of the twists that I execute without thinking about them beforehand, just because um, I like laying things into, you know, I believe there should be a clue on every page. There's not two mm. or three clues in my books. There's, there's 400. So um, building it that way means that every block that goes into the tower has to contribute to the end. And so if you change the end, then you, you really do have to rewrite the book from page one, which I did. I do change things when I do rewrite the book from page one to yeah. reflect that. Um, but in terms of plotting, normally I kind of I have the last, say, 10,000 words in my mind when it all comes together. And I, I do the first third a little bit winging it. Mm. Um, there's certain character elements that come in. This one was originally not a Jack book, who's the returning character from Greenlight. Uh, it was originally a standalone, but I wanted to talk about topics of, um, you know, he's grappling with a choice about euthanasia and um, his brother's in a coma and he kind of grapples with that choice throughout the book. And I wanted to do that because I thought it was a powerful theme that reflected a few of the other things I was talking about in the book. But I got a third of the way through the book and I realised I can't have another character who's got a family member in a coma. Ah, crap, it's a Jack book. And so he kind of worked his way in. So I'm not above changing my synopsis completely when I uh, hit upon something natural. 
Mm. But when you are plotting intricately, is most of that happening in your head? This is what it sounds like. Or do you have a wall of index cards or something like that? Most of it is genuinely in my head. I have a, a few post-it notes on the wall in front of my computer, uh, but mostly I use them for character traits or, or characterization elements. Plot elements I tend to have in my head. At the bottom of my manuscript, when I'm writing it, I keep it quite clean, so it's always up to where I'm up to. I don't jump around in scenes. And at the bottom, I leave three or four pages blank, and then there is one page with probably at any given time 15 to 20 random sentences that I know will be in the rest of the book. And they might be big clues or they might be big tie-in reveals. So provided that I'm writing towards the next sentence, uh, you know, it might be a, a, a cool sentence that I came up with that I think, right, I'm going to get to this point and end a chapter on this line. Mm -hmm. um, provided I'm writing to that, that kind of bridges all the gaps. And of course, I have to deliver a synopsis to my, um, my publisher mm. who are great at letting me vary it. But th that's the opportunity to kind of sit down and, and write it out as a, as a two and a half thousand word piece on what the plot of the book is. Right. And so with your characters, your main characters, who are so real and so well-formed and, and they're so you must really have an astute um, skill for observation of human behaviour, um, what do you do to flesh them out, to really get to know them, to, to, to make them real people. Obviously, Jack, you already knew, but, you know, there are other characters and obviously Jack was uh, new to you once. What do you do to really make them real? That's a really tricky question. I mean, I'm, I'm very focused on making them real. That's definitely one of my goals um, when writing. I, I don't, I try and avoid cliches as much as possible in terms of um, human traits. So everyone's a little bit offbeat because I believe that everyone in the world is a little bit offbeat. And the skill of observation comes from my work as a stand-up comedian where, where, you know, you weigh someone up. Mm. You, might, you might weigh up a situation so you can talk about it on stage. But also when you're on stage, you're weighing up members of the audience. Um, you're trying to figure out what, what makes them laugh or, or they're talking to you, they're trying to heckle you and you're weighing them up then so that you can insult them more effectively into a microphone. But yes. so I kind of blend that, but I mostly, I just, I want everyone to be human. I want everyone to be real. And I want to, I'm not afraid to take my characters into darker places personally, because I believe that that's where, what humans are like. Um, so there's no point giving someone a surface character trait and then dodging any of the more significant issues. I want them to have complex relationships with um, with other people and with themselves. And so maybe by digging into that, uh, hopefully it achieves the goal of making them real mm. on the page. So I can imagine that you're very intuitive because, as you say, when you're in front of an audience, you have to make some judgments or decisions um, in right in the moment. But these are all, and they're, but because you're in front of the person, but these are all fictional characters, and yet you can make these. There's an inner monologue going on, let's say, with Jack, and you can, you're really inside him, and you really, you can under, you can see and understand the things he's thinking, and they're just his his observations on the people he's, that he's dealing with, or his observations on what's happening at the time. 
how do you put yourself into that headspace of a fictional character and sort of come up with these wry or just um, sometimes out-of-the-box observations, but then the reader goes, oh, that is, I really believe that, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess um, Jack's wryness is, um, you know, it's something that I really like about him. He's, he's got, he's very dry and he's, he's quite dark at times. He's less dark in this book than the last one, um, but he's got a, a real wit about him. And I think that he's been through a lot in his life and in both novels, um, just in terms of getting involved in a couple of murder mysteries, I think would uh, darken anyone's sense of humour. But he does have a quite black sense of humour as well, which I think is important to shoot through the book. So in terms of getting in his head, I don't know, I just try and think about things a different way. One of the rules when, when you are writing jokes is to... Um, Write the first joke that comes to mind, but then write it a different way because the first joke to come to mind is the first thing the audience will expect. And so I do that when I, even if I describe someone's face, you know, I, I never want to call someone tall, dark and handsome. Mm -hmm. I'll just think, okay, well, how else? How else can I describe him? How else can I ha describe this? Think about this. And so I guess I just give Jack that unique spin. He's often looking yeah. at people like how he cast them in a television show because he used to be a producer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I put on his hat. But I just try and look at the world a little bit quirkier. But also I just I genuinely, I want every sentence to be interesting. You know, the whole book as a whole, I think, I hope people go, oh, what a, you know, I enjoyed that mystery. I enjoyed that thriller novel. Um, but I also want people to just pick it up, read a page and think there are a couple of good sentences on that page. And so I try and make them, I rewrite each of my sentences quite a few times to make sure that they shine um, by looking at them all from different perspectives to hopefully find those unique observations. Can you just give us a bit of a potted timeline just so people can understand the reality of drafting a manuscript? When you started the, you know, your first draft and, and when you finished? Yeah, sure. Um, so I pitched the idea with the first chapter with the prologue of the television studio um, murder slash suicide. Um, I pitched that in July of 2018. Mm -hmm. And then, because that was off the back of my novel was coming out, my first novel in September. So I pitched that in July and wrote the first chapter and um, got all excited about it. And then across, I probably wrote the next little bit up until the release of my first book and then I got blown away by media and I put it away for three or four months and um, then I didn't pick it up again until over Christmas so and then I spent six months writing the first draft so it took me a year but six months of it I wasn't working on it because I was um, I wasn't prepared for what releasing a book was like yeah. uh, and so to mentally put a book out there but then sit down and and pull new ideas from your head is, is very difficult so, yeah, I, it takes me about a year to write a manuscript. And the same with the one that I'm working on now. It will have taken me about a year, but it, it'll probably take me four to five months to actually write. Mm -hmm. uh, and then this one had quite an intricate editorial process. Uh, I was using a lot of stuff that is literally on the news day to day that is changing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I had to stay focused on that. So we probably spent about six months editing it. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, then it goes that it goes to 
proofs about nine months out, and then it's just proofreading and stuff from there. So it's about a, it was about a two-year cycle for this book mm. with about six months of writing and six months of editing. So with the six months of, you know, when you came back to it and um, decided to do it, um, you know, up, uh, from Christmas time for about six months, uh, is that when you did it from five o'clock to seven o'clock every day after your day job? Yeah, I did. I was actually also on tour. So I did it in hotel rooms. Um, wow. One of the tours, I was in Melbourne for three weeks and I took a couple of days off work and I moved out of the accommodation that the comedians were in and I booked myself a hotel on my own for five days and I wrote, um, you know, it's not heaps, but I wrote about 10,000 words there mm-hmm. and that was what I needed to just kind of, while still doing the shows at night, but mm-hmm. um, so I was locked in a hotel room and I knew that again, my strategy was like, wait until you're a dead man and then and then start. <laughs> I knew if I did write enough to unlock the plot mm. in that five-day session, then I was a goner. So, and I'll probably do that again. I mean, I'm just at home in Sydney and I know it's COVID, but there's literally a hotel down the road from me and I might just book in four days there and just, once you commit to something like that, yeah. I'm very... I'm very stingy. So once I spend money on a hotel room, I'm going to do the work. <laughs> um, so that's my version of a, of a writer's retreat. I wish I could go to a log cabin in the mountains, but I feel like I wouldn't get anything done. Um, you say you like books that are pacey, and this is obviously very pacey. What do you need to do from a technique point of view to make sure you keep that pace up? Your characters have to ask enough questions of the reader I think, um, in order to keep pace. Because obviously there's one large central dramatic question in every novel. Uh, and in a mystery, it's quite simple. It's a whodunit. But in in this novel, from a technical standpoint, I wanted to ask three. I wanted to ask the whodunit, but I also wanted to ask the how done it, and I also wanted to ask the why done it. So you've got three central dramatic questions that run concurrently, mm. even just inside the linear murder mystery. And then, of course, you have your, your character questions. Um, you know, obviously, each character must leave a book differently to the way they entered it. That's just the basic rule. But their question, um, you know, they, they have to be asked a question by the narrative or be asking a question by the narrative that must be answered. And so that lingering question drives suspense on what they what they will do um, throughout the novel. So that's kind of how I, I keep the pace up. Um, but really, I just try and cut everything that's not useful. Uh, every, every scene, every page, I think, should add. And if it's not adding to character, then it should be adding to plot. And if it's not adding to plot, then it should be adding to character. And I have a little spreadsheet on my computer <laughs> where I mark the chapters um, you know, it just says chapter one, two, three, four, but I change the colour based on whether they're plot chapters or character chapters. That's and great. If, yeah, and if, if there's two, you know, it's just blue and green, but if there's too many blues in a row, if there's too many plot chapters, then it's getting a bit thin. I feel like the character gets a bit thin, which actually drops the suspense because you care less about them. You need yes. to build, need to really build it in so that um, everything is, is gripping, convincing and interesting. And likewise, if there's too many green cells, if there's too many character cells in my Excel spreadsheet, then I know that I'm not paying enough attention to the murder mystery. 
and uh, I've got to get back to the point of the novel. So, so what proportion, what balance are you looking for? 50-50 or what, yeah, what's the, what's the ratio for you? It, it does depend on the book. Um, by virtue of having done a lot of Jack's character work in the previous book, I think that this one is a bit more plot heavy. Uh, so I, actually, I try and go 60-40 plot character, um, but 50-50 mm-hmm. is also good. I mean, I have to acknowledge that I'm being published um, being published into a commercial sphere mm-hmm. um, as a suspense and thriller novel, so I, I can never trade the thriller aspect. Um, but, yeah, about, I try and do about 60-40 and keep the plot whirring along but also make sure that I have really meaningful arcs. And it's not really about... Sometimes it, it doesn't come down to such finite things as a percentage split. If you can do something very effective in very few words, then, you know, that, that might count enough for a, mm. a character chapter for me. Um, and then, you know, fulfill my mental obligations of what <laughs> I want to put in. But, yeah, 60-40, I'd say. Okay. So since you are in the world of publishing um, and exposed to many different types of books, was it always a lay down misere that you were going to write a thriller or did you consider, actually consider other genres? Uh, I, think I, was, I think I was fairly uh, fated to write a thriller. I'm known as the guy that always tries to pick twists. So, um, yeah, I don't think I've ever considered writing anything else. I do love a whole broad range of fiction, particularly literary fiction. Um, but I'd rather just be in awe of those people and try and inject um, some literary vibes into my books mm. then and again instead of, um, yeah, I'd rather just be in awe of those writers than, than be on the, on the same uh, level as them. <laughs> so since you, um, as you know, do work in, at, at a literary agency in the world of publishing, when you first pitched this, was the pressure just ridiculous? Like, how did you feel? Like, did you actually think, oh, my God, what if they don't take it or whatever? Um, yeah, lots of pressure. The honest answer is they didn't take it. Um, I had written a different novel, mm-hmm. one before Greenlight even, that uh, didn't get published. And I learned so much from that manuscript. And I was lucky. Um, people gave me really good advice. And then I went away and wrote what would become Greenlight that was then successfully published. So the pressure was huge, but also I didn't get any major shortcuts. So um, yeah, I've been through the been through the rejection table and it yeah, wasn't right. too embarrassing, I guess. So um, yeah. <laughs> it worked out in the end. So yeah, it did. what was the most challenging thing about writing Other Side of Midnight? Uh, it was challenging to write a book that deals with such dark themes mm. and keep them sensitively handled without ever compromising the entertainment. So, you know, you, you need all those satisfactory conclusions that you get from a crime and thriller novel, which is... Um, a satisfying ending, a reveal, um, you know, you want those scenes where your heart thuds in your chest. But it goes some very dark places and it deals with some very dark themes. And so I wanted to make sure that I was doing uh, due respect 
to those themes and those elements of the book um, while also delivering a taught thriller. But I, I really wanted to do that because I wanted to write something that people wouldn't have kind of seen a murder mystery like this before um, and the ways in which that it plays out. I've certainly not read it in a book before. So I guess, yeah, that was probably the, the balance of light and dark, which is why I give Jack such a unique eye and such a unique kind of sense of humor and take on the world because he's, you know, he's dealing with, with dead bodies and, um, you know, you can't take that too lightly. So mm. that, was, so we, that was, sorry, when you say that you had to deal with some of those dark themes sensitively, how did you do that? Uh, I mean, did, did you do anything beyond thinking about the appropriate way to, to deal with them? I did a significant amount of research into, um, you know, lots of the elements of mental health that are presented in the book and um, lots of the, you know, the mental health of the man that dies, but also Jack's mental health. He has an eating disorder as well. Um, and so I think that the best you can do is to be as genuine as possible and to not take the shortcuts around the hard stuff that you're trying to talk about because it is it is important and it also becomes important to the plot in several areas um but if you dance around it then i think i i think you can compromise the integrity of of the plotting and the integrity of the characters which makes the book feel superficial so i think it's important it was important to take them on head on but also do the research and be genuine with it and make sure that I was being, um, yeah, respectful of people's experiences that I had researched, um, but also respectful and genuine of my own thoughts of the matter. And in the end, if you're putting yourself on the page in a genuine way, then I think that's the best way to, to deal with uh, any, any theme, really, mm. dark or light. And it's certainly very rare to be reading of a main male character with, bulimia um so that was um and and just to also read some of the scenes where of how he you know snuck away his food kind of thing um was was fascinating um did you talk to any bulimics or um people who had experienced that themselves yeah i i mean i did i did a lot more research on green in green light for Jack's mm. um, illness, mm. and then in this one he's kind of improving yeah. a bit, and his 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 character arc goes in a different direction. So I did I did more more research into that other side of it, but certainly I mean the first person experiences of of people who have grappled with it were so valuable and so important. Um, be that mainly say essays or, or first person interviews, I suppose, than, than right. me actually ringing people up. Mm. But yeah, I got a really valuable grounding. But then one of the important aspects that comes out of it is that it, it's all based on Jack's masculinity and his own interpretation of his place in the world and what it is to be a man as well, which I think that um, I found I could connect with and I could speak um, certain things there as well so yeah a blend of um, of intricate research into terms of his illness specifically but then in terms of his um his thought processes mm. 
yeah, then then you you know you just really plug deep and think, well, well what do I think about masculinity and my place in the world? And and even if it manifests in Jack in a physical condition, because it's a book you're just trying to speak to a, a specific metaphor, um, you know, there's so much there's so much you can draw from yourself alongside significant research. What was the most rewarding thing about writing the book? Um, typing the end on it. I, I knew think. Are you apart from that? You can't give yeah. that one. <laughs> I think I think I get. I think writing a book allows you to think about some things deeply, mm-hmm. and I think it gives you the time and the space in which to have. Uh, to look at a theme or or a character and really dig in, and it gives you as many pages as you need in which in which to construct your thoughts and version of events and and make it into that novel. And so I think just being able to to put some of those thoughts on on the page and to examine them and and think about it and look at them, I think is the most rewarding. And then on the other hand, the most, one of the most rewarding things is when you, you drop in a twist and you just mm. think to yourself while you're writing, oh, I've pulled that off, you know. Yeah. You just kind of, I, I look back through my manuscript to make sure all the clues are in the right place. And it's not the final word of the manuscript, but there's, there's always a specific sentence with it when it turns. Mm. And writing that sentence, I think, is, is fabulous. Satisfying, yeah. So I just want to go back because it is a thriller. I just want to um, come back to um, discussing pace because you previously because it's so important in a book like this. And you previously said that you cut out anything that doesn't serve the character, doesn't serve the plot, and so on. Do you cut it out after you've written your first draft, or are you the kind of author who needs to keep the pace up, and therefore you are editing, like chucking that out as you go? Uh, I chuck out as I go, but it actually slows my writing pace quite significantly. Mm. I don't write one sentence forward until I believe that the uh, everything that comes before it is at a polished stage. Really? So, yeah. So I wow. I will I'll be three hundred pages in, and if I am not a hundred percent happy with one certain plot line, I'll just edit those full three hundred pages. Oh the advantage God. of this is that my first draft is more like a second or third draft by the time that I show anyone. But the disadvantage is it means there's days when I write seven words and think think it was a big day of writing. (laughs) Wow. Have you tried the other way? (laughs) I'm trying it a bit with my new book that I'm writing now because I'm still finding out what my characters want to tell me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I... I really can't ignore um, things that I think aren't good enough. Wow. So I can't, okay. I can't just look at, okay, chapter four needs work, but I've got to keep, keep this going and then I'll revisit it later. If chapter four needs work, it's going to bug me until I fix it and yeah. I won't be able to think, think forwards until, until it's all pretty um, tip-top. Okay. So the next book, you're, the book you're writing now, is that Jack? It's a standalone at the moment. He worked his way into the last one. He may well, but at, <laughs> I'm pretty confident he's not going to be in this one. Jack gets a very specific set of stories, and I think I've been a bit mean to him. Uh, he's been beat up a few times and um, had some had some tough 
some tough novels. So I'm giving him a break at the moment. And so are you able to tell us anything about this one yet? Um, not really. I, I really can't. It's it's going to... Oh, I mean, I can't even tell you the title because okay. <laughs> kind of... Yeah, I'm... I'm I, 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 yeah, I can't put That's it. That's okay. I, can't put I won't it put you on the spot. <laughs> it's about a family reunion that goes okay. south. That's, that's as much as I can say. But it is going to be a thriller? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right, so uh, finally, what are your top three writing tips for people who want to be in a position where you are one day and be a published author? Um, sit down every day. If you're not sitting down every day, you know, if the junk does, the junk has to come out somewhere and it's all junk at the start. And so you have to do enough to get rid of, rid of all the junk. That's tip number one. Um, tip number two is always be asking a question. Your manuscript must always ask a question. I know I write thriller novels, but one of the most genuine aspects of any book to me that I look for is suspense. Mm. And it could be... It, it can come in any form, you know, it can just be the suspense of what this character will say to this character or when this character will meet this character in any type of fiction. But if you don't have suspense on every page of your manuscript, um, then its readability diminishes. And so I always make sure that I have enough questions in the manuscript so that when somebody puts down a book and they're reading it, they're still thinking, when's this going to happen? How's this going to happen? Who's that? Uh, where did the money come from? Um, you know, who is the killer? Um, will they kiss? All these questions need to be at the back of every page, even though every page isn't talking about them. Um, and then my third tip is, is don't kill the dog because <laughs> people don't like it when you kill animals in, in, uh, in books and films. So avoid the household pet. Humans, yep. they're up for grabs, but household yep. pets, definitely not. So true, so true. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today. Congratulations on Other Side of Midnight. And um, I know it's going to be a huge success. Thanks a lot, Benjamin. Thank you so much. There we go. So that was Benjamin Stevenson. Now, we want to give a big thank you and shout out to all of the authors that we've had on the podcast this year. I mean, it's been such a delight and such an honor to talk to so many different types of authors from so many different genres. It's one of the best parts of our job, I think, Al, don't you think? Oh, absolute highlight, privilege, unbelievable. Mm. I It's been an absolute joy. We have had some brilliant interviews this year, I, you know, think, um, and I don't take credit for that. I mean, I'm giving the credit to the authors, not to mm. myself on the brilliance of the interviews. <laughs> um, although, you know, whatever, feel free to throw confetti in our direction if you want to. Um, but I, um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure all around. I am looking forward to, you know, coming back in 2021 with a whole new array of, yes. uh, of brilliance. We've got some fantastic uh, author interviews lined up for people, um, which is going to be great. And I, you know, I guess we just have to wait and see what 2021 delivers for us. Yes. And if you want to start 2021 off um, in the right way, we strongly recommend our book, <laughs> So You Want oh, to yeah. Be a Writer. That's right. Um, We've got one. You should totally buy it. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> you can check it out at um, writercenter.com.au slash book. And uh, it's such a useful, if I say so myself, um, blueprint for anyone who wants to get into the world of writing because it lays out step by step from the thought process of, oh, I might be interested in writing, right through to, well, what kind of writing should I explore? And then, you know, actual practical steps on how to get into that kind of writing. So it's the perfect way to start the new year. Yes. Like, let's face it, it really is. And also, if you have bored children at home, AL Tate books are the oh, yes. perfect way to entertain them um, over those holidays, those long, endless holidays. <laughs> endless. I'm just going to put that hashtag endless holidays. Um, <laughs> yes, which is what I will be doing. I will be wrangling them through those endless holidays. But you know what? I am going to write a blog post. I've decided to do a little roundup on my blog. Yeah. I just decided mm-hmm. this right now. Okay. Um, I'm going to do a little roundup on my blog of some of my favourite interviews of the year. Uh, oh, yeah. Because I haven't as yet done that. Um, so that's that'll be something for you all to look forward to. You'll find that at alisontate.com. Hopefully, you know, soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll put a link in the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast Facebook community uh, once I've managed to pull yes. that together. Yeah. Great. That? We want to thank you too, our listeners who, uh, you know, have entertained us with your responses, your comments in the Facebook group, um, on Twitter. If you are a new listener to us and you haven't yet joined our Facebook group, um, please do just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook. It's free to join. We'd love to have you in there because there's some great conversations happening in there. Um, So big thank you to all of our listeners. This is our sign-off for 2020. 20 but we will be back in we 2021 will. Won't we we'll be back there's no escaping us people <laughs> <laughs> all right where do we find you online now you'll find me at alisontate.com a-l-l-i-s-o-n-t-a-i-t.com you'll find me on twitter at, at altate a-l-t-a-i-t and you'll find me on um where am i facebook and instagram <laughs> at alisontate writer and you valerie where do we find you You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next year. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.